Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, April 18th, 2022. This is Mark Sly. I have the joy of serving as Lifeline's Vice President of International Ministries. And today we're going to continue into Chapter 8 of our study of the book Image Bearers by our Executive Director and President, Herbie Newell. I want to point out as we begin that we live in a time and a culture where the threat to human life is very real. We see it in the entertainment that we consume. And yes, there are movies and shows that depict violence of all kinds. And I realize that everyone who may be listening to me speak, you may have a different view of what is acceptable and what is not. But we live in a time when even the heroic protagonists in a film are idolized not for their ability to subdue the villain, but even for their lack of acceptance of the most vulnerable among them. I remember serving on a church staff several years ago, and one of the members of the staff, whom I greatly respected, had recommended that I see a movie. Now, I was aware of the film 300, but honestly, I felt like it probably was not my type of movie for several reasons. But after I was told uh, repeatedly that this was an iconic film that would shape culture, I took the advice and I rented the movie. And in the opening scene, I was faced with this monologue by a narrator expressing how each child born into a Spartan family is inspected upon their birth. And the narrator would go on to say that when the, when the child was born, that they were inspected for being small, puny, sickly, or misshapen. And if that child had those characteristics, then they would have been discarded. Now, I simply just could not get past the first few minutes how could I be entertained and even convinced to come to the side or, or applaud for the purported protagonist in a film who would treat the lives of children as dispensable on the grounds of whether or not they met their expectations? Now, I know this is just a movie, and since that movie came out, several historians have said that it was not an accurate depiction of Sparta. However, what I witnessed and the unbelievable even accolades that the film received afterwards, I've seen this, this idea this worldview permeate into the culture and it has shaped not just simply a fitness methodology, which was highlighted because of the film, but unfortunately, it's also made its way into our view of how we view human life, especially life in the womb. In the book Image Bears, Herbie Newell does an incredible job of drawing our attention to this idea in a very nonfiction manner. When he cites an article from the CBS News Uh, published in 2017. On page 117, it reads that with the rise of parental screening tests across Europe and the United States, the number of babies born with Down syndrome has significantly decreased. A few countries have come as close to eradicating Down syndrome, and could I just say eradicating human life? No countries have come as close as Iceland. According to the most recent data available, it says the United States has an estimated termination rate for Down syndrome of 67%. In France, it was 77%. In Denmark, 98%. The law in Iceland, though, permits abortion after 16 weeks if the fetus has a deformity, and Down syndrome is included in this category. Geneticist Carrie Stephenson was quoted in that article and is said to have had a unique perspective on the advancement 
of medical technology. She said, my understanding is that we have basically eradicated almost Down syndrome from our society, that there's hardly ever a child with Down syndrome in Iceland anymore. I don't think there's anything wrong with aspiring to have healthy children. A woman who had made the decision to abort her baby, who had a gene deficiency, was quoted as saying, this is your life. You have the right to choose how your life will look. We don't look at abortion as murder. We look at it as a thing that we ended. We ended a possible life that may have had huge complications, preventing suffering for the child and for the family. I think that's more of a right than seeing it as a murder. It is not so black and white. Life is not black and white. Life is gray. This idea that innocent life can be extinguished because of the inconvenience and supposed risk to society isn't merely in the setting of a fictional tale or a movie. It's something very real, and it's been weaving its way into our culture and worldview for decades and at intimate levels. Take this uh, testimony from a mother who was faced with a similar decision in 1977 and 78. So would you share a little bit about um, like around 1977, 1978, uh, you, your family were kind of going through some heavy decisions. Would you kind of share a little bit about that? Okay. Um, We had two daughters. They were older. We found out that we were going to have another baby and we were really excited and went to the doctor and I had an appointment for um, just like a checkup. And uh, while I was there, he said that due to the fact that I had taken a lot of medicine for um, a physical condition that I had, that medicine could cause deformities in a baby. And you'd had a lot of surgeries and that kind of thing back surgeries yes and um just um it really concerned us because um the way the doctor explained it it sounded like it could be very serious for the baby and possibly could take my life too and um we struggled with that a lot um I had been teaching Sunday school and um, had been uh, teaching the children about how God had worked in special ways in people's lives and brought them through some really tough, almost unbelievable times. And I felt really that God would want me to keep that baby. Um, Of course, my parents were very concerned about my health since we had two other children. And uh, so they were, they were really torn as to whether we would make the right decision. But we chose to have the baby because we wanted it. And uh, we felt like however that baby was, that's God was going to bring that baby into the world and he would take care of it from that point. As followers of Jesus and those who read God's word, we recognize this as a a terrifying cancer of thought, and it's plagued our world for much longer than these stories that I've shared with you. This is something that has threatened the life of the unborn and children 
who've put at risk the status quo for millennia. Take Exodus 1, 15 through 16. We find where the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua at the time, when you were helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that that baby is a boy, kill him. Then if it is a girl, let her live. The unborn children of the Hebrew people had threatened to displace the power structure in Egypt through sheer number. And though no coup attempt had happened, there was a perceived risk and a felt need by Pharaoh to remove the threat that lived in his mind. And so he ordered the death of children as they entered the world from their mother's womb. This is not unique to the Old Testament. We see a similar fate for those born within the border of Herod's kingdom in the opening of the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 2, in verses 16 through 18, we find that Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. He sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all in that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled that what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. Brothers and sisters, this idea that the lives of children and unborn babies are expendable is a lie from Satan. It has been used to justify the actions of rulers, of tyrants, of kingdoms for millennia. And while we abhor the plan that would end an innocent life in the pursuit of power, so many now applaud it in our culture when it is the pursuit of convenience. That a government would publish the decline of autism, not because of a cure, but because the extermination of children has taken place is both nauseating and infuriating. But be encouraged. God's response now is the same as his response to our desperation, as those who were at enmity with him, separated and condemned by the sin that had broken our relationship with him. His answer remains adoption. It was through adoption that the daughter of Pharaoh would bring in a child, Moses, condemned to die, brought into the very household of the one who ordered his murder. And remember Jesus, though the adoption of through the adoption of his earthly father and sovereignly planned by his heavenly father, he was rescued and delivered to safety. And don't miss the irony here. He was delivered in safety to Egypt. And so we too are offering hope and joy. The idea of adoption through the sacrificial work of Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf, because we were separated from our heavenly father. We find it in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, when it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with, and listen to this, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Nothing has been withheld for those of us who are believers, followers of Jesus, those who have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will 
according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And it doesn't stop there. It continues to describe what this adoption means in verse 11, when he says in him, we have obtained an inheritance. We're not just simply called his children, but we are given the benefits of being his children, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him also. When you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were then sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It's a guarantee. It's not something, it's not a relationship that we can, can be taken away from us. And this Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we actually acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory one day face-to-face in heaven. You see, from the beginning to the end, God has demonstrated his care for the fatherless. In Psalm 146, 9, it says, The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. We find in Psalm 68, 5, where the father, God is the father of the fatherless and the protector of widows. And in Deuteronomy 10, 18, we're told that he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. But lest we grow complacent, brothers and sisters, and thinking that this is a fight for the lives of the unborn and that this battle rests only on God's shoulders alone. No, brothers and sisters, we must be reminded that this is a war, not of the Spartans, not simply of the Hebrews or a select few in redemptive history. No, God commands his people to model his care for the fatherless. In Exodus 22, 22, he warns, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Similarly, in Zechariah 7.10, we're told, do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. And it isn't simply just a sin that we could commit, but it's also a justice that we are called to bring about. Isaiah 1.17 says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, and bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. And in Jeremiah 22, verse 3, it says, Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness, and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed, and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. You see, my brothers and sisters, those who I sincerely believe are a part of Lifeline, both in staff and in partnership and in prayer and those listening as we are enjoying this podcast together, we have a calling to fight against the schemes of an enemy who has been hard at work to destroy those created in God's image, whose stories like mine and my mom's that you heard earlier include moments where Satan has attempted to steal, kill, and destroy. Today, we fight back. We fight back for the life of an expectant mother who considers abortion a viable option. And we fight not only for the life inside her, but we also fight for hers, knowing very well that Satan will twist and tempt her to believe a lie only long enough to then use her decision against her to torment and torture her after the fact. We fight through the bureaucracy and the paperwork that feels like a hindrance when we seek to adopt or foster, knowing that it guards our testimony and it's worth doing in light of the life of a child and a family that it represents. We even demonstrate patience towards 
those who maybe are pressing for immediate gratification. We we do it towards those who are maybe struggling and those families that are struggling down the street with children who may seem undisciplined because we know ultimately it's not about the actions of those children that matters near as much as their lives. And so we fight through prayer for one another, knowing that there is no such thing as an easy role in this life as a believer. Not those of us who serve at Lifeline, not those who serve on staff at churches, not those who are a part of the body of Christ in any form or fashion. None of us have been given an easy role in this world, but it is a role and it is a battle. It is a fight worth taking up because with each, there is a constant demand of us beyond what we alone can endure. In other words, we have to fight alongside of one another and not independently of one another. Because yes, our response must be one that protects the lives of children born and unborn, but it's also a response that must reflect the gospel. So I'd like to challenge you today with six things in one question. The first is this, put ignorance, not children, to death. First Peter 2.15 tells us, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And how do we do that? Second thing, seek to be educated, not merely entertained. Romans 12, 2 challenges us to not be conformed to this world, not be conformed to those things that are entertaining, not to be conformed by the view of governments that think life is simply easily dismissed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Thirdly, replace sympathy with action. James 4.17 challenges us, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I would challenge you also to let sacrifice, not comfort, define your life. And we're called to lead in that response, not simply wait for someone else beside us to do that. Philippians 3, 8 through 11 says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, Paul says, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And this isn't simply reserved for Paul or a chosen few that we read about their lives in the New Testament or the Old. No, we are challenged not only to sacrifice and let that be the defining aspect of our lives, but we also need to do that by taking the first step and choosing to do the next right thing. It's why Paul challenged those in Galatia to not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, he says, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. So we choose to act every single day, even if it is simply the encouragement of the brother or sister who is next to you. Hebrews 3.13 reminds us, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
You see, we're under a constant onslaught through the news, through our culture, through entertainment, through social media. And it is this constant message that life is not as valuable as God has declared it to be. That your life, that my life, that the life of an unborn child, that a life of an aging adult is no longer valuable when it doesn't contribute to society what is acceptable, what is tolerable. And I'm here to say that the Bible teaches a completely different view of the value of life, that we were truly born in the image of our creator, made that way to exemplify his goodness and character in the world around us. And so I have a question for you today. As you listen to this podcast, as you lean in and care for the orphaned and the vulnerable, can I ask you this question? How will a child's life be impacted by the effort that you put into your faith, your family, and your work today? How will a child's life be impacted because the way that you love your own children, the way that you relentlessly that you faithfully pursue potentially foster care or adoption? How will the life of a child be different because of the way that you serve in your local church, investing your faith into that generation that's coming so that they too will value life the way that God has and the way that God has valued yours? Brothers and sisters, may we value life because God has certainly valued ours. As we do that, we know that, again, prayer is a huge part of our battle against this other worldview, this other mindset that devalues the unborn. And so today I would like to invite you to pray, not just simply for your neighbors, not just simply for those that are listening to this podcast or those maybe even in the adoption process yet, but let's pray also for those in Kyrgyzstan this week. Let's pray for that country that has 6 million people and almost 90% of them practice Islam, not knowing Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. Let's pray for families. Let's pray for families who are in the process of adopting. Let's pray for families who are there that need to know the richness and the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray for our adoption ministry here at Lifeline as we work diligently to try and manage the paperwork and just the process of adopting internationally from Kyrgyzstan, that we would do so that upholds not just the value of life, but the standard that God has called us to, and that we want to do everything above reproach. And could I also ask that this week, you also pray for our team, pray for those that are on the ground, serving diligently with families who are adopting, but also pray for our team here, uh, in, in the United States who are coming up alongside of families, assisting them, not just simply in the adoption process, but assisting them in building a healthy family and what comes long after the adoption process concludes. So with that in mind, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you and thank you for the way that you have viewed our lives. You have viewed those that you've created in your image as valuable and God, honestly priceless, giving the life of your own son for our redemption and restoration, providing for us the good news, the gospel that gives us hope. It says that we no longer have to live with the unbearable 
weight of our own sin on our shoulders, knowing that we could never be able to recompense for that sin. But rather, God, you have provided the means by which our salvation is available through Jesus Christ. God, we praise you for that. God, we praise you for the fact that you are creating these children in your image. And though unborn, they are still priceless and valuable. And they are valuable, not just simply in your eyes. God, they're valuable in ours. And so help us to fight. Help us to battle so that, God, these children who are at risk of being, God, eradicated from Iceland, God, would experience life. God, that they could experience hope, that they could hear that a heavenly father has created and loved them deeply. God, we pray for an end, God, to legislation and God, for perspective in people's hearts that would view the elimination of Down syndrome through the means of abortion as the eradication of a thing and not a life. God, God, would you eliminate that viewpoint, that worldview, that that idea that life is not precious. And God, for those of us who do view life through the lens of the gospel and through the lens of your word, God, would you help us to lean in personally in conversations, in our family, in our churches, God, in our spheres of influence that you have blessed us with. God, would we flip this idea on its head that life can be eliminated because of inconvenience? God, could we trumpet that life is precious? God, help us to do that, not just simply through our words, but through our actions. God, even those listening to this prayer right now who are in the process of fostering or adoption, God, would you give them strength knowing that this is, this is a real fight day to day. It is not easy, but God, it is worth it. God, would you strengthen those who are maybe feeling overwhelmed by the adoption process that maybe is too difficult or too expensive? God, would you illuminate to their hearts the fact that, God, you go before them and that this is something that you've called them to. And if that is the case, then God, you will also provide all that they need to accomplish it. God, would you strengthen families in the post-adoption process, whether it's from Kyrgyzstan or elsewhere, that are maybe struggling because of other factors. God, would you bring peace? Would you bring comfort? God, would you sustain them in this battle? And God, would you protect us at Lifeline? God, that we would advocate for the lives of both children who are born and those who are not, that we would advocate for the lives of the mother who is considering abortion and even the mother who has already maybe had an abortion. God, her life is still valuable to her. That story of redemption and restoration is still available to her. God, may we as the church convey that truth to her well. And God, in all these things, May we bring attention, may we bring renown, may we bring glory to your name because of the way that we live out this mission sacrificially in our lives. God, we ask all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week 
for the Defender Bible Study.